Two days ago, the ACLU filed a lawsuit against Donald Trump's Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security following the biggest proposed change to asylum policy since 1965. For immigrants in Massachusetts, there are concerns about what this could mean for their families back in Central America. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Betancourt with Commonwealth Magazine. I'm joined today by Susan Church, partner at Demesse and Church in Cambridge, and Sarah Sherman Stokes, the Associate Director of the Immigrant Rights and Human Trafficking Clinic at BU Law School. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, so first, I guess I want to just jump right into this. What was your reaction to hearing about this major announcement from the Department of Justice and DOJ on, on Monday? This is uh, the latest and perhaps most aggressive assault on asylum by this administration, although it also is part of a pattern. Uh, this administration has been attacking asylum seekers and particularly refugees from the Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras since the day it took office. Um, and unfortunately, this is just the, the, the latest and um, most aggressive and illegal, quite frankly, assault on their rights. Yeah. I mean, that's the irony is that each time they come up with one of these policies, I, can't, I say, Psh, they can't do that, and they can't, and they're enjoined within a week or two with a lawsuit that, honestly, uh, thank God for the ACLU, but most lawyers who practice immigration law could write and successfully win and litigate this particular lawsuit. I liken my job these days is to a game of playing whack-a-mole. You know, every day I wake up and I'm like, what? nonsense is happening now and that was my reaction to this and it's just like every day you have to figure out how to break this down how to fight it how to stop it um, and it's usually nonsense that they're putting forward this is one of the worst I agree with Sarah this is one of the most ridiculous of all of them let's talk a little bit about what the policy change actually is um, in terms of what it would mean for currently existing asylum law um, who wants to start with that I, I can start so um, the asylum laws, which are statutorily based, meaning that Congress has enacted a law allowing people who enter the United States either at a port of entry or over the border to apply for asylum, and there's three different ways to do it. The law is clear law. What the government has done in this case, the Trump administration, has tried to change a law with a regulation. This is illegal. The, the regulation says that if you pass through another country, on your way to the United States, any country, you have to claim asylum in that country first. So all Central American migrants, except the ones that fly, pass through a, another country before they get here because that's how they arrive. Um, it's, I think it's blatantly illegal because you cannot change a law that Congress enacted with a regulation um, that is not passed by elected members of Congress. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Susan. So um, the Immigration and Nationality Act, which is where the asylum law lives, Section 208, um, this was an act passed by Congress that says, you know, you can apply for asylum anywhere at a port of entry or within the United States. What the administration is trying to do is get an end run around that statute um, to basically set a bar on asylum for everyone but Mexicans is effectively how it will play out unless you're lucky enough to fly into the United States, which which very few asylum seekers can do, and certainly even fewer from Central America, which is the region that this administration is targeting. Um, and and this, this, this proposed rule is so blatantly contrary to law. Um, I think, you know, as Susan says, 
this is kind of one of the one of the silliest uh, proposals that this administration has made because it so flies in the face of our understanding of um, sort of separation of powers and the way um, to challenge laws on the books. Okay, so let me just make sure the audience members understand what the change would be. Um, let's come up with an imaginary scenario. If I were a Honduran national, for example, fleeing to seek asylum in the United States, I would first need to apply for protection with at the very least, the Guatemalan government, and then get approval from them or be, excuse me, rejected um, before moving onward. And what would the scenario be in Mexico? Yeah, that's correct. So what this rule proposes is an additional limitation on eligibility for asylum, um, which would require that after transiting through any country outside of the person's citizenship, nationality, or last habitual country of residence, that that person seek asylum in that country. So effectively, any country you hit on the way to the United States outside your country of origin, you must seek asylum there and either be denied, have a final, what's called, they call a final decision. Um, in your case, uh, there are a couple exceptions if you can prove you're a survivor of uh, trafficking, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but that's pretty much it. Um, otherwise, we're talking about anyone from any country that travels through other countries outside of their country of origin must apply for asylum in those countries. Now, is this even feasible? Um, could it be done at all, and why? Guatemala is one of the murder capitals of the world. You know, Mexico, Sarah and I both have been down at the border, and Mexico comprises, I would say, 60 to 70% of the asylum seekers waiting in Tijuana to obtain entry into the United States. So no, it can't be done in Honduran. It cannot be safe in Guatemala. Some of the same gangs that torture people in Guatemala live in Honduras, follow them. We've, we've had cases, I'm sure Sarah met people, where the gangs followed them into Mexico and harassed them into Mexico. Th these are countries that are not safe, that are causing the problems, that the triangle is the problem. It's not just Honduras or just Guatemala. It's all three of those countries. And there's no way that you're going to obtain a full, fair, full and fair procedure on your asylum claim because by the time you're done, you might be dead. Okay. And so I sort of want to get a sense of how this impacts immigrants in Massachusetts. Can we talk a little bit about that? Um, are some of them your clients? Absolutely. Um, so I can tell you um, just sort of about one story. Um, I think this has tentacles um, both in Massachusetts and across the country. As Susan mentioned, both of us, along with colleagues of ours, were down in Tijuana working with asylum seekers at the border um, that were waiting to cross. And this is not retroactive, this new rule, but anyone that's attempting to cross after Tuesday, it will apply to them um, unless there's an injunction, and hopefully there will be. Um, but one of my clients, her partner was waiting in Mexico to cross. He's not from Mexico, he's Haitian. Um, she was granted asylum, uh, but he couldn't make it across. This will apply to him. I have another client whose 10-year-old son was back in El Salvador. Um, he is now making his journey north. This will apply to him. She and her other children have already been granted status So here in Massachusetts. So, so this will have um, pretty broad ramifications for a lot of family members of our clients already here. Susan? Exactly that. And what happens is, so when you come in now, if you come in at a port of entry, you get what's called an expedited removal order. And then that normally would mean you would get immediately deported. But then if you have a fear of return, you claim credible fear. At that credible fear process, they have been instructed to apply this bar at credible fear before the person ever sees a judge. So the, we have 
I, just like Sarah, I have family members waiting in Massachusetts for their loved ones. Uh, young, ch uh, a 12-year-old son one person is waiting for. I have um, a family of five or six that just arrived that wouldn't be allowed here had um, this law been applied to them. And then there's also, um, in addition to all the family members in Massachusetts who sponsor these people to get out of uh, mm -hmm. CBP custody, Customs and Border Patrol custody, recently the government has opened up a brand new shelter or prison, really, not a shelter, at Wyatt Detention Facility. And there are, from what we understand, over 400 recent arrivals at the border at Wyatt trying to obtain a hearing in front of a judge. They will all, um, any new ones added to, to Wyatt, which seems to be- And where is Wyatt? A, Wyatt is in uh, Rhode Island. Okay. They will all be subject to this bar. And uh, detainees in Wyatt would also need to go to immigration court in Boston. That's well. correct. Okay. okay. And I would also just mention that this is, um, I think it's important to zoom out a little bit and recognize that this rule is part of a pattern, right? So this is another way that this administration is trying to short circuit due process for asylum seekers and, and Central Americans in particular. It's another way to sort of engage in what we think of as maybe shadow deportation or speed deportation, right? If we can cut them off at the pass, these are people who will never get in front of a judge. They'll never have the opportunity to make a claim for relief uh, or to express their fear. They will simply be returned without any kind of a proceeding. And that should be really scary for all of us. And to get a sense of the history of asylum, has the former methodology of applying for asylum been the same for a long period of time? And I guess, how has that changed? I know you mentioned some of these steps that have led to this. How has this led to this moment on Monday where they decided this? So we could go all the way back to 1948 to, um, you know, post-World War II uh, world. I won't take you down that deep sort of history lesson. Um, but there have been a number of sort of iterations of refugee protections culminating with the Refugee Act of 1980 um, that really tried to bring us into conformity with our international legal obligations. We have obligations as a state party to their Convention Against Torture, uh, uh, non-refoulement, to not return people to places where they're going to be persecuted. Um, so we have fairly robust protections, or had, I should say, fairly robust protections for refugees and asylum seekers. But this administration has been pretty insidiously and systematically whittling away at them. Um, and this is just the latest, and as Susan said, sort of the most preposterous attack. Right. You know, just if you started making a list, we might be here all day, but just the highlights, and you might have heard of some of these, are this decision called Matter of AB that eliminated asylum protections for uh, victims of domestic violence, the decision about not allowing any asylum seekers to obtain bond anymore at the border. They used to have limited uh, bond by immigration judges at the border. Now almost no one can obtain bond if you get randomly and inexplicably held by Customs and Border Protection. So what happens is people come to the United States, and some of them have family members, and if you're lucky, Customs and Border Patrol will allow you to join your family members. That process that used to take about three days has backed up to 40 to 50 days. And it, it means that's why you see all this horror at the border of people in the detention centers, because they've backed the process up so much by creating extraordinary barriers to people reuniting with family members. And and so when you talk about insidious attacks, it happens every single day in Massachusetts that they are affecting people's cases. We are losing cases in court and in front of the asylum office. People are filing paperwork and getting a hearing in three weeks, which allows them no time to prepare for their asylum application. I mean, I really could, I'm not exaggerating, spend two to three hours describing the horrors that have been inflicted on asylum seekers in Massachusetts every day as a result of this administration's attacks. Absolutely. And if I 
if I could just add one thing, I think part of the rhetoric of this administration and part of their justification, in fact, it's what the ACLU lays out in their lawsuit, is that that these are, quote, not meritorious claims for asylum. And I think it's really important to get out in front of that and, and push back against those allegations because they're simply, they're not borne out by the statistics. Um, and, you know, their, their, their justification for um, holding off these asylum seekers is because they're fraudulent, because they're looking for loopholes, because they're, they're not meritorious. But in fact, um, 2016, the most recent year for which numbers are available, uh, there was a nationwide 28% success rate for asylum claims. Now, that rate went up to 80% in certain courts. Um, we could spend another entire hour talking about the difference in adjudication rates depending on what judge you get or who the trial attorney is or whether you're represented by a lawyer. Uh, you're not guaranteed a lawyer unless you can afford one. So there, you're already at such a disadvantage as an asylum seeker, even in Massachusetts, uh, you know, a progressive state where we have a really robust immigration bar and a lot of pro bono services. You're already at a disadvantage. Uh, the stakes are, are already quite high and the deck is stacked against you. And I know you had mentioned sort of getting ahead of the arguments on the other side. I sort of wanted to get at those briefly. Um, is there any validity to the argument that a change in asylum policy is needed? Attorney General William Barr on Monday released a statement saying that the system is overburdened, and then he went further to say this rule will decrease forum shopping by economic migrants and those who seek to exploit our asylum seeker to, to obtain entry to the United States. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And is anyone exploiting the asylum system? He's right. We do need an overhaul of our immigration system. There are about 900,000 pending cases nationwide. Um, but the overhaul would entail creating an Article I court for immigration, which would be, a, frankly, a more um, robust judiciary uh, to adjudicate these claims in a more serious way. It would include uh, increased funding for judges and for clerks so that people, judges weren't having to, you know, go through these claims in 30 days or 90 days. Uh, one immigration judge has likened these cases to death penalty cases in traffic court. And that's essentially what they are. And that, that shouldn't be the case for people who are fleeing significant persecution and trauma. So he's right. We do need an overhaul of the system, but not because there's fraud, because there aren't enough resources to adjudicate the claims of bona fide refugees and people who are needed in need of protection. I, I want to talk to you about my clients. And I, I only know my clients, and I know the stories of other lawyers with their clients. And I can tell you, these are not economic migrants. I cannot tell you how many clients I've had whose 14-year-old daughter was recruited by gang members to, to be raped on a daily basis because she's viewed as property by the gangs. Uh, how many clients have you met? Brother, uncle, aunt, cousin, sister, dead, all of them. People, I've had people who, who stood up to the gangs because they were trying to be brave, and as a result, they were killed, and then their family members had to flee. This is not about economic migration. And the reason I know that is, you know, we used to have a lot of migration from Mexico between 2000 and 2016. That economic migration comprised 90% of um, some of the entries at the border. That number has gone, sorry, that number has gone down st between 2000 and 2016 by 90%. And the reason why is economically, Mexico has dramatically improved. Not politically, they've still got a lot of problems po politically, but economically, they're doing much better. So you saw migration come down. Now, what did this administration do to try to, quote unquote, uh, teach these countries a lesson, they decreased aid to the countries, which is only going to exacerbate the problem. So the 
government needs an overhaul on the way they deal with asylum seekers, not um, the economic migrant issue. That's just, honestly, it's just a absolute untruth told on part of this administration. There's no other way to say it. And where do you think his argument is coming from, and, and where is this idea being perpetuated? I think it's coming from the overall, quite frankly, racist rhetoric of this administration that would like to paint migrants and refugees as criminals, as people who are a danger, as people who are, um, as Sessions referred to, Central American children. And these are children that I know Susan and I have both represented who have looked at us in the eye and cried to us about the family members that were murdered in front of them. You know, Jeff Sessions stood up and said, these are wolves in sheep's clothing, suggesting that these were not bona fide asylum seekers, that these were not children in need of protection, right? Um, You know, this is part of this administration's ongoing effort to vilify and demonize human beings um, whose countries, frankly, we've played a significant part in in destroying through our foreign policy, through our um, foreign intervention, through trade programs that um, really impoverish these communities. So I, I think um, I think that's where that's coming from, and I think we have to call it what it is, which is um, pretty blatant racism. It's coming from an administration that uses terms like go back to your country from to U.S. citizens, from an administration that calls all of these, calls all of these migrants um, rapists, robbers, and murderers. It comes from an administration that is so blatantly racist that the Supreme Court said to them that their reasons for placing a question on the uh, census was contrived. So, and every lawsuit, if you look at every one of these lawsuits that the ACLU and all these other great organizations filed, they make that claim that this is designed to make sure that uh, people from with brown-colored skin does, do not come and stay into this country, including the lawsuit filed in Massachusetts um, to aid people seeking temporary protected status. And the judge issued an injunction, and they won. So it comes from a design by this administration to prevent uh, any more migration that makes America less white. So, Susan, I think, were you referring to the 2017 uh, suit where you successfully sued the federal government for the travel and visa processing ban on Muslim immigrants? Well, that was that was one of the claims that we made on that, mm-hmm. and that claim was presented all the way through, and that was based on his anti-Muslim statement. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's a whole which which basket of. Uh, racist statements do you want to take from? That was based on the basket of anti-Muslim statements that he did, and that uh, lawsuit was filed on that basis. And eventually the Supreme Court said no to that. Not that he didn't have that bias, but that there are national security rules that basically trumped digging deep into the bias of the president. It's a different scenario when you're talking about uh, immigration asylum-related immigration from the Central American countries. There is no national security issue that's at stake. They don't have that justification. And so they lose these cases on a significantly higher percentage because it's obvious. And and this go-back-to-your-country statement, that's going to be in every lawsuit briefing that's filed from now on. From your experiences in court, um, how successful do you think the ACLU's lawsuit will be? And if there is a temporary injunction, what will be happening at the border? Will the former policy still be in place? Um, will there be some sort of temporary pause? Right. So I, I think um, I'm. I think 
I don't want to speak for Susan, but I feel fairly confident that the ACLU will be successful in this lawsuit. As we've said earlier, this is a pretty preposterous rule. Um, it's a violation of the Immigration and Nationality Act by setting an additional limit on asylum that isn't consistent with um, with the rules as they stand. They're contrary to law. It's There are violations of the Administrative Procedures Act. It's arbitrary and capricious. They've bypassed the usual notice and comment requirements. Um, so there's all kinds of reasons I think they will be successful. And in fact, the ACLU and others who have sued all the number of policies that Susan mentioned, they've been successful almost 100% at that uh, I think temporary five percent success rate, or something. Exactly yeah. at the at the temporary injunction yeah. stage, because these things are so poorly thought out um, by the president. I mean, I, I, there was news that came out that um, folks in the asylum office and at the border got one day notice about this new rule. One of them. Um, one. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I heard an asylum officer being interviewed who just quit saying, "I heard about it on the news on the way to work." The day, like, this is the new rule. There's just no, sorry. It's just, no, 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 I, completely. Yeah. It's just <laughs> preposterous, right? I mean, how can we expect line officers to engage in these policies when they're not even being told about them? Um, so I do think they'll be successful. But the concern is what it does in the meantime, right? Who's impacted in the meantime before this temporary uh, injunction can go into place? And what is the chilling effect it has on bona fide asylum seekers and refugees who are legitimately, in many cases, fleeing for their lives um, and will be deterred or will be, or will think, well, I'm not going to go through the usual manner of, of trying to seek asylum by presenting myself at a port of entry. I'm going to try to swim the river. And then, I'm, and then, you know, as we saw Oscar and Valeria drowned recently, mm -hmm. uh, father and daughter, or I'm going to try to make my way through the desert because I don't want to be caught and then there's no water in the desert because this administration is prosecuting people who leave water in the desert. Um, and then they perish because of the heat. I mean, so it, it has these sort of ripple effects that are hard to quantify, but are really significant and directly endanger people's lives. And the administration keeps talking about, oh, this is a humanitarian crisis. There's so many people coming. Is there an influx of or just a, an increase in asylum seekers in the past couple of years? Do you have any thoughts on the numbers? So this is a statistic that I love. During the Bush administration in the early 2000s, the Border Patrol officers caught 1.5 million people crossing the border. Now, that was at a time frame, and that's not the people that crossed, that's who they caught crossing. And that's in a time frame without night vision goggles, without drones, without, uh, they have motion detention, detection sensors. Up until uh, February and March of this year, the they were on track to maybe catch approximately 40 to 50 to 60,000 in, um, a, I think it was a year was the number. The numbers did definitely tick up in February and March, but we're not even close to that number of uh, what we were looking at back in the 2000s. So the reason we're in quote-unquote crisis is because the government has created a crisis. And how have they created a crisis? Let's see. They're focusing energy on building a stupid wall that's not going to get anywhere. They instituted the uh, horrendous and unfair zero-tolerance policy that took significant resources away from Customs and Border Patrol officer and put it towards prosecution of time-served offenses for crossing the border illegally. They, um, they're simply spinning their wheels, trying to deter people who will die if they don't come here not to come. How logical is that? It makes no sense. So they are creating a crisis on the border. And definitely we're having an uptick in the number, but it's nowhere near numbers we've seen in the past and we've handled successfully, not always humanely, but at least successfully, and certainly much better than what we're looking at now. I want to get a sense from you what your thoughts are on 
immigration enforcement authorities training other outside agency officers to conduct credible fear interviews and what this means for asylum seekers waiting at the border. I think it's incredibly troubling to imagine other agencies being trained in conducting credible fear interviews when we know that the people tasked with conducting credible fear interviews now are doing a pretty poor job in many cases. Um, I know, I'm sure Susan and I have both seen um, the notes from the interviews that don't adequately capture what our clients said um, in any way, and in fact, sometimes misrepresent what our clients said. Uh, I know we've probably both had clients who have expressed a fear only to be denied and expeditiously removed from the United States without being able to present a claim for asylum. Um, there have been you know, many, many lawsuits around the unsafe and unsanitary and abusive conditions in custody for folks who are waiting to go through the credible fear process. Um, so the idea that we're gonna sort of bring in new people and train them up when the people already on the ground don't seem to be doing um, an adequate or, or safe or um, job in, in conducting these screenings, I think is really troubling. Um, you know, it, there are separate calls to kind of, you know, dismantle ICE and kind of remake it from the ground up. And I, I take those, those suggestions very seriously because I think we have, you know, there are some things that are rotten at the core. And so I do have one final question. I, I know you both work with a lot of asylum seekers. What are you hearing from them since Monday um, on their concerns about the policy change? My clients actually are right now more, because it doesn't affect them directly, what my clients are really afraid of these days in Massachusetts is the raids and this idea of raids. What I've seen is tons and tons of um, false alarms about raids. I do always inevitably get a call when one of these policies is announced with a full-fledged panic, which is you know, increased by the raids announcement, increased by all the other changes that they make. But right now, the people who are here doesn't affect them. It will affect the people waiting for people to come. Like I said, the, my uh, one mother who has a 12-year-old son sh trying to get out. And just, just as an aside, like part of the problem with the, the conditions at CBP is that they're not letting people reunite here in Massachusetts with their family members. I've had many calls from people saying, my son's there, my daughter's there, my husband's there, but they won't let him come out. Why? Because I'm undocumented. And the Obama administration allowed people, regardless of their status, to go and pick people up at the border and reunite with them. The, this administration has eliminated that right and, in fact, arrested people who were trying to get people um, out of custody at the border. So, you know, there's so many problems created by their policies, and then they call it a crisis. And it's, you know, I do get the calls from my clients in Massachusetts, but by and large, it's created by this administration, the fear. Yes, I would echo, Susan, um, that the degree of fear and terror, and it really is terror um, at a certain level, uh, you know, it's, it's, we've, we've gotten to that state where people are in a state of panic. Uh, I spent, you know, over 30 minutes on the phone with a client Monday morning who was just in tears asking me basically, can ICE come, what do I do when ICE comes to my home? What do I do when ICE comes to my work? What do I do when ICE comes to my children's school? Can they come to my children's school? What about the hospital, right? Really going through every place in her day where she might encounter someone from law enforcement um, and what she should do. And this is something we had gone over before, right? This wasn't the first time we were having this conversation, but news of the raids um, are is really deeply affecting communities here in Massachusetts and paralyzing people with fear and, and frankly with terror about how they live their daily lives. 
Um, all right. Well, we have to wrap it up, but I, I want to thank Susan Church and Sarah Sherman Stokes for coming onto the podcast today um, and sort of unfolding what's been going on with the changes in asylum policy and the ACLU's lawsuit. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.